0: Loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma.
1: It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals.
0: Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today. Pete Wright and I'm Andy Nelson welcome to the next reel when the movie ends
1: our conversation begins
0: the diary of a teenage girl is over you're so full of yourself
1: I got a girl she's sweetest can be all the other boys want to be like me and oh is not life I refuse to be some sniveling crybaby. this is my life
0: sweet? I don't want to brag I
1: was quite a piece when I was your age. The can the I know
0: nothing's changed, but everything looks totally different to me now. true
1: when I wake up and I see you next This is for
0: all the girls when they have grown. Auntie, Diary of a Teenage Girl.
1: Is this a diary we should have been reading? Did you feel guilty I like
0: felt dirty and guilty the whole time? The whole time, but <laughs> Belle Polly so sells it. I adore her. I think she's a wonderful human being and a great actor.
1: And she does a good job of playing a teenager when she wasn't. Yes. She looked she like sure a teenager. Does. Yes.
0: She does. She looked like she acted like one. Her voice, the characteristics of her voice were just amazing. Now, so that all that celebration is what it is. I then went to look at Skarsgard, who's in this movie. And if you haven't gone to Skarsgard, his IMDB page, you really should. I don't know what's going on, but he's in uh Tux with no pants <laughs> on a, some sort of a red carpet. It's
1: like a that nightmare scenario, right? Yeah, it is. I, it's I, a nightmare I, scenario. I had a nightmare. I looked down and I was, you know, in this uh award ceremony and I forgot my pants. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Do you think? Do you think at any point Stellan is is somewhere saying, uh, "Yeah, that's so Alexander." <laughs> like, <laughs> like they just have, they like they know they know the black sheep. They every if if Alexander has to look around and find the black sheep and he can't figure out which one of the scars it is, it's him. Do you think they have that?
1: <laughs> do you think so? <laughs> uh, well, let's see. What name all the scars guards? There's uh, oh, the Stellan the
0: yeah, Stellan, Bill, Alexander. Um, uh, uh, well, <laughs> there, there are more Skarsgårs. I know there are. Why can't I think of any more? Hold on.
1: There's Bill, Gustav, Sam, I, Aija, Walter, Ossian, and Kolbjorn. Those yes, are the actual. That was it.
0: Was Kolbjorn? That's the one I Kohlbjorn. couldn't remember.
1: Kolbjorn <laughs> and Ossian are half siblings. Half Skarsgår. They're just. Guards. Strangely, uh, when you look at uh, Alexander's IMDb page, he's listed with having three parents. I'm assuming it's a step parent, but it is odd to say three parents.
0: What is going on in the Skarsgård family?
1: Uh, Stellan is his father. My or Megan are the. One of them's the mother and one's the stepmom, I guess.
0: Kolbjorn was in Clark. Ossian was in The Wife. Daniel's a writer for WCW Nitro. Eldia? Oh, my goodness. What about Lloyd? Did you get Lloyd Skarsgård? Is that a different... I think that's a different Skarsgård.
1: Yeah, I just went with the
0: ones. He doesn't have the accent over the A.
1: (laughs) That's a different guard.
0: It's a different guard.
1: So that's, that's the Skarsgårds, uh, yeah. quite, the, quite the acting family. I mean, even his, his dad, obviously, is an actor, and the two mothers are all actors as well. Like, they're all performers. Um, I mean, a lot of them haven't necessarily crossed the pond quite as much, but, um, yeah. And here's Alexander, Sexiest Man in Sweden, voted in 1999. Well, did you see him in Tarzan? Come on. He's been the sexiest man in Sweden five times, Pete. Is that why
0: he chooses to go to red carpet events without wearing pants? Is he just leaning in on that? Maybe, yeah. maybe. And he's wearing the little, what are they called? The sock suspenders? Like he's wearing sock suspenders with no pants. <laughs> what is going on, Alexander? You're very handsome, but, you know, make good choices.
1: Very, very funny. Uh, and And he premiered he went to the um premiere of this film in drag actually so he's he is provocative yeah very provocative
0: he is provocative
1: so that's alexander and that's bell the the uh i, I guess we 'd call them our two leads, although bell pretty much is the lead he's uh, i guess he's the lead the male character in the film <laughs> it's um, uncomfortable really
0: it's uncomfortable giving him that credit. you're leading you're leading nothing monroe
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's i mean it is a really interesting film and you know in our coming of age debuts series of which this is the penultimate uh in the series um you know mariel heller right out of the gate with this film uh you know showed quite a lot of promise with what she could do and this is after she had already turned this book that phoebe glockner had written into a play and done it as a stage show first then she said oh i'm gonna make a movie out of it and here it is so Mm -hmm. it's a it's an impressive way to kick things off
0: well it's a lovely little film i'm excited that we are talking about it
1: this film is rated r uh shouldn't come as a surprise once you watch it um but yeah strong sexual content including dialogue graphic nudity drug use language and drinking All involving teens. Want to watch this movie and help us out? Well, you can. If you see an Apple or an Amazon link to the movie in the show notes... Just click on it. It will take you right to their site, and you can rent, or you can buy the movie. And when you do this, uh, you know, they, they throw a little money at us. It's always nice. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're like the fountain, and, and Amazon and Apple are like the, the kids throwing pennies at us. It's, uh, it's fantastic.
0: <laughs> that's exactly what they are. So, Watch your head, Andy. Watch your head. <laughs> Uh, if you want to make sure we get a little bit more than pennies, maybe even a nickel, head over to truestory.fm slash TNR merch and you can see our lineup of merch. You can get some True Story logo stuff on shirts, stickers, mugs, mass pillows, and more. And uh, sometimes we even put up a uh, little logo stuff about the movies that we're talking about that are uh, fun to do. So you should check that out. And, uh, you know, maybe before it's gone, hit the, uh, r- rusty, <laughs> the rusty International Tour uh, t-shirt or pillow because it just keeps getting sold don't know why uh i don't i don't have one
1: i think there are a lot of families with a family member named rusty and they're going to europe and they say oh <laughs> wouldn't this be fun <laughs> that's the that's the only thing i can think of why is that shirt more than anything that we have put up just keeps selling rusty the european it's tour crazy. from national lampoon's european vacation that is Do you know what? we'll take it i one. mean we'll hey, take it sir.
0: There's no, there's no gift horse kind of thing going on here, but but it's, it is an oddity. Anyway, merch, truestory.fm slash DNR merch.
1: We would love to feature audio reviews from you, our dear listeners. Just send us an audio file to reviews at truestory.fm once you watch the movie, and we just might end up showcasing your voice on the show. We do record about two weeks in advance, so uh, get it sent in to us in time so that it can be included. We would love to have it. Again, reviews at truestory.fm.
0: And if you're wondering where you can see what movies we're going to be talking about in the upcoming weeks, head over to Letterboxd. We have an HQ page over on Letterboxd. That's at letterboxd.com slash the next reel. And uh, it is our favorite uh, social network and it is the best social network for movie lovers. And if you're there and you fall in love with the place like we have, uh, you can sign up for a pro or patron membership, remove ads, support the team uh, and get 20% off by just using the code NEXTREEL. We've actually built a little redirect link. If you go to the nextreel.com slash Letterboxed, you'll go straight to the checkout page with that 20% already applied. And it works for renewals as
1: well. You know how I know that? I just renewed my membership with our discount.
0: Did you? Oh, Andy.
1: How fantastic is that?
0: That's the best.
1: Yes. Um, You know, and and... Letterbox has their fantastic uh, membership. We have one as well. We would love to have you as a member supporting our show. Uh, we, You can support either month to month or at an annual rate and you get all sorts of things um, like all these bonus episodes that we do. We have a monthly member bonus episode filling in a gap from a series that we've done sometime in the past. And members get to vote on what we're doing, the April poll. uh, We're doing original sci-fi. Movies yet to be determined, but uh, we know we're locking that in as our series. Uh, We also do a flick chart re-ranking episode every month where we jump back into our flick chart and uh, do some re-ranking and shake things up over there. We also, at the end of every series now, we have a retake episode where we look at the entire series and, uh, you know, just kind of macroscopically, as I love to say, talk about what we got out of the series as a whole. If you would like to learn more about uh, becoming a member, just go to truestory.fm slash TNR membership. You can learn more about the tiers. The most it'll cost you is $5 per month or $55 per year.
0: Diary of a Teenage Girl. First of all, for a movie that so thoroughly telegraphs its central complication, please, teenage girls of the future, do not put your diary on cassette tapes and put them under your bed. They're too hard to hide, too easy to embarrass you. Please don't do that for the future. It's not a good strategy for your diary.
1: It's an interesting... I mean, it makes sense for the purposes of a play and a movie to have your protagonist recording her diary so you can, you know, we can hear it, right? It makes sense. Yeah. In context of a young girl who wants to be an artist, I I found it a little, you know, odd that audio recording was the way that she wanted to approach her diary when it seems like she clearly loves having pen in hand. Um, and and uh, you know loves doodling and drawing and stuff like that, and so it's it's an interesting blend.
0: I thought it was exactly the same thing, especially because the movie had already invested so heavily in art, and and that's one of the things I love so much about it is just the visual treatment of the the animation. She is a young aspiring animator. She has all these wonderful connections to um, uh, obviously the the uh, Glockner original graphic novel and uh, to Aileen kaminsky uh crumb who i I mean it's just like she's aspiring to that sort of of uh, artistry and the movie uses it so so well it seems really strange that i'm right with you using it on stage made a lot of sense that they didn't come back and rethink how to do that treatment more visually uh you know I, i i think That, you know, that would have made more sense. Although using the tape gets around the thing that frustrates me the most, which is voiceovers, because as soon as she puts the mic to her mouth, it's no longer a voiceover in my head. And so it's okay to hear her voice because I immediately picture her sitting on her bed and talking in the mic.
1: Well, but even if she was like, I I guess I don't have an issue at all with voiceover when it's somebody when we're just listening to somebody's internal dialogue as As a diarist as a a diarist exactly as they're writing it and we're just you know hearing it that doesn't bug me at all and so i think it would have been fine either way it it does strike me as uh i guess if anything it's just a more interesting way to do it having her record the audio as opposed as opposed to just writing the diaries Um, it's it's a more interesting visual way to approach it doesn't bug me really at all. It's just a, it's a point that I did notice, but it's it's not something that I find, um, you know, pulls me out of the film or anything.
0: I, I think so, too. So she's fantastic. Uh, Belle Powley, as our uh, young protagonist, love the art, love what she's what she's doing there. How does this play for you as a coming of age film, given this is our coming of age series?
1: I'm very much going to look forward to our conversations in our retake episode, um, again, our members only retake episode at the end of the series, when we kind of talk about what makes a coming of age film, as opposed to just a film dealing with young people um, that is just a a story, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that there's an element to this uh, about this young girl who is figuring herself out, um, as far as her sexual awakening and she's 15 and trying to sort that out. Um, what does, I, I mean, we start post having had sex. She just has had sex is thrilled by it. And that's what inspires her to kind of start this diary, this audio diary. And, uh, we kind of learn how it all started and then follow it along. And it's really a, a kind of a twisted Story that I mean, it takes place in in the seventies in San Francisco, and uh, she ends up hooking up with her mom's boyfriend, who is kind of a free spirit, kind of a post hippie, uh, you know, free spirited sort of guy in San Francisco, and. Uh, you know, and her mom. I mean, it, they're very. I guess I would say, kind of, it's a bohemian family. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of the sense we get. Other than her, her dad, who seems all business, um, who uh, clearly didn't uh, didn't find that he fit with mom at all. But mom seems very kind of uh, bohemian, hippie, uh, drugs, uh, all that sort of stuff, and this. This element of her falling for her mom's boyfriend and him falling for her becomes a kind of a fairly uh, twisted story that we uh, that we go on, and it, I, I think it's important to kind of, I mean, obviously we're dealing with kind of some you know a, a man who is uh, older with a with a minor, um, but at the same time there is this element about her being proactive with her kind of her sexual identity and and driving this thing forward um i mean it's not even just with him it's also with you know boys her own age but she's really trying to she's she's enjoying herself and she's figuring out what that means i think there's an interesting element to her explorations that becomes um you know strong and powerful as we're kind of trying as as we're looking at coming of age
0: the the coming of age part uh i love about this movie, right? Because I feel like this movie, maybe more than many of the others that we've talked about in the series, has a truly explicit moment for me where she has come of age and it's not just her having sex, having sex with an older man, having a lot of sex. It's at the end of the movie, jumping to the end when she's on the beach selling her artwork for five or 50 cents or whatever. And, and Monroe comes up and they have this little conversation and at the end, her voiceover, she says, um, you know, I'm better than you, you son of a bitch in her head, right? That's yeah. what we get. She's talking about him and we realize, Oh, right. Now she's grown up. She went through all of the experience, right? All of the the uh, the lust and the fear and the uncertainty and the self-loathing, thinking she's fat, thinking she's like bad for for doing the things that she's doing. She goes through, you know, the the shame and, and you know, people calling her a slut at school. And she goes through all of that and realizes at the end of the movie, to my ear, what it means to grow up to have lived through a uh, an experience a complicated experience, an experience that wasn 't just hard and sad but one that that was full of emotional complication, and come out the other side, recognizing that you know she is she 's a better person right and and to me that is that 's a powerful message of this movie and um, and and it makes me just really love the character and love what she goes through. Even as it's a it's a troublesome story about her and an older man, I would also say you guys don't have to do this. I went ahead and and uh, you know took the bullet for doing Google searches uh, on you know the the average age of you know young women losing their virginity, and it is a. Uh, it's a high percentage. I don't have a number. I wish I had a number, but it's a high percentage of of young women who uh, actually lose their virginity to to older men, sometimes significantly older men. And it is not uh, it's it is like it's a whole range of difficult situations, many consensual, many that are consensual and also like this movie sort of loathsome. But it is it is complicated. Sex is complicated. And I think this movie actually does an able job of presenting the complication that, you know, that is inherent in the process.
1: It's a very tricky thing because obviously there is like a legal age that we've established in our country. 18 years, you're an adult, right? Sexual identity and sexual thoughts start at much younger ages in both, you know, men, boys and girls, men and women and it becomes a thing where i mean you know a lot of kids are trying to figure out how can we do this i i can't wait it's it, you know it's going to be so awesome and whether it's with a, a person who's you know over 18 or under 18 it's it is in a lot of people's heads so it's not like this is a story that is uh, just kind of uh, all about sexual perversity or anything like that right it's a story about reality is is the way that I felt about it. And yeah, there are these um, draws that people have. And in this particular case, that moment that she and Monroe have early in the film where, accidental or not, they're kind of sitting next to each other and he, he puts his arm around her and his hand accidentally ends up on her boob or maybe intentionally ends up on her boob and – can't you're not exactly sure and they're trying to figure out uh, or she you know it, it turns into something and the attraction just ta- overtakes her and uh, and you know he has those moments of doubt like I shouldn't do this uh, but he's so drawn into it that he just can't stop. And that's uh, to your point about her coming of age and the actual growth that she has as a character by the time we get through all the drama that she's had uh, with him, with her mom finding out and the conversations they've had, and, and kind of how they've had to deal with it, to that final moment where she is selling her art on the beach and and he shows up, and she says that line, like. That is a great moment of her finally learning to navigate these big emotions that people have of of that that draw that you have to people and the sex and the love and the you know like I mean she in the beginning it's just like I love him so much you know I can't you know is it going to be awkward if we're together and all this sort of stuff that that she's thinking without realizing like. There's more to it than that. And, and that's what's great about the way that the story presents her as a, as a very real character who does come into her own and start figuring these things out. And it takes people, you know, sometimes a long time to figure that sort of stuff out. And So this was a really interesting and unique journey that we have with her in this film.
0: I, I like that you say this isn't a movie that's just, uh, you know, really centers on the sexual perversity of it all, because believe me, there are all kinds of other things going on in this movie that are uh, that are difficult to swallow, like the the um, the entire culture of uh, drug use and, uh, you know, parenting. And, uh, you know, at some point they're so they they are so. Um, exuberant in their explorations of sex that they they in fact sell themselves they prostitute themselves in a bar bathroom uh, which is deeply disconcerting Uh, is it redemptive then that we have a scene immediately following that where they make each other a promise never to do that again that they really thought that was where they discovered where the line was uh, yeah. at, at the level of risk they go to. So I, I think there is a lot going on here, um, that, that makes this a more complicated thing. Not the least of which is that these girls were coming through their formative years in the seventies. Like this is also very much a seventies story. And I finished the movie and the first thing I wrote in my notes is that I'm deep, re- deeply relieved I dodged anything close to formative years for myself being aligned with the seventies. What a crazy, place to be a teenager right we just yeah. got incredibly lucky being you know coming up to the foot. like ours was duran duran that was the worst that we could do and some skateboarding right like uh, this this was uh i don't know george was michael crazy. i want your sex
1: that was <laughs> there there was a line with the parents of that one
0: you're right you're right that was that was rough and then footloose remember there's a whole oh, town that didn't want dancing involved so that's right real risk so anyway it's to sex <laughs> I I felt like just navigating some of the things that they had to navigate because there were so few guardrails and because look at her mother like she was in, in so, as as explorational a a a mode as her daughter was right and yeah. and she was she, but she was doing it as a result of loss and trauma and grief and um you know dealing with the dissolution of her relationship her marriage with with the her dad and getting fired from the library like there are all these little. Little environmental sort of character bits that are peppered throughout this, where we get to see Kristen Wiig really perform, and I I think that is another you know fascinating angle in the whole mix of this movie that that makes um you know the the story sort of propels the story. What do you think of Mom?
1: Yeah, I mean, really powerful performance from from Wiig here that I found to be very um, very. I mean, she's that free spirit character that you have here as she's as you said, she's trying to figure her own life out and she's having fun and she's she's doing drugs and she's doing all sorts of stuff that, you know, I mean, it. there's a little lacking in responsibility, but at the same time, it's of the era. And I think there is an interesting element to the way that she's kind of she does have this very free bohemian life. And I think it's very interesting when you have Minnie and her little sister, uh, Gretel, and uh, interacting with mom and the the kind of the contrast when dad's around and they're they're hanging out at the at the cafe with dad. And he's kind of given him those life lessons, which, you know, the, the one you said, you know, I'm better than you, you son of a bitch. Uh, what a great. A callback that we have later in the film, but you know, his that's kind of the lesson that he's teaching his girls, and he's a very he's much more rigid businessman back in New York who's living a much stronger life, and seems like you know he was drawn to Charlotte because of that wildness of her, but then realized after they had kids, like I can't live this way, and or or you know, and and there's that big loss that of the marriage that they have and the hurt and everything. But the way that the Wig portrays that, especially as we get to the end, and I, I, I found it really powerful how she found it her own way to kind of cope with what had happened between Minnie and Monroe, accepting Minnie, welcoming her back in after Minnie runs away from home and almost goes down a terrible, terrible path, uh, but welcomes Minnie back in, but still makes sure she lets her know, I can't talk to you about Monroe, we have to have a wall there. I just can't go there. And that was, it was really, I mean, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was powerful and very well done and very real. That's the thing about it. It just all felt very human.
0: Well, and that scene in particular, I think, highlights uh, a, a theme that I really love in this movie, which is what awareness comes from loss, right? In that case, mom wakes up to the fact that this whole thing is terrible. And yeah, I threw a fit and I went and I told Monroe that you, Uh, you, you porked my daughter, so now you have to marry her? Why do you keep using pork? Oh my (laughs) goodness. That was a, that was a terrible, terrible riotous scene. Um, and, uh, and yet, you know, on, fearing that she has lost Minnie she discovers what she had in what she has in her relationship with her daughter and i think that scene is a is a real uh high point in in uh, in the film as a as a way of of that sort of retribution of their relationship that sort of redemption of their relationship i thought that was really strong um the other thing that i i love on that same theme is that uh you know the movie is not presenting that monroe he's it, it is a I don't want to say he's a sexual predator, but I can understand how, you know, one could sort of make the case that he's the villain. I don't think he's the villain, and I don't think he's ever necessarily portrayed as the the villain of the film. No, I think he's left as an incredibly complex guy with a complex set of, of um, sort of moral guardrails himself. And also, they had a relationship that was full of a deep attraction for one another
1: that was what was so interesting about the relationship. Like they both knew there were, they were crossing lines, but there was a draw that they couldn't stop. And he kept saying, we can't, we got to stop this. We got to stop this. And then she would like lean on him or something. And they, it's, it's that, that, kind of that sensual sexual draw that they had with each other that they couldn't, they said, okay, just this last time, you know, it's like that whole thing. And I I found that to be interesting where neither of them could really contain themselves when they were around the other, because they were so passionately connected. And, you know, I mean, it's, I think that's, that makes for a really interesting and complex character. And I can see why scars would want to play the character because it does allow for a, a more complex uh, you know, less just straight archetypal type of character. Like this is somebody who has complexity and, and as an actor trying to figure out what does that mean? And, you know, how, how do I engage in these things that I should know are not right, but I can't stop myself. And, and I found that to be interesting, especially as we get to the end of the film, as we've already talked about. and, you know, he, he's, he stops by and she has, she has that monologue with herself, I'm better than you, you son of a bitch. She's kind of grown past it. Has he? Who knows? Maybe he still has that draw, but he's not in her life anymore. But has he grown up or is he just another Trip Fontaine like we had in The Virgin Suicides who yes. perpetually will now be stuck in kind of that mentality?
0: Interesting perspective shift in, from the original material from the Glockner book. And I wonder what your take is on this in the book, uh, or I should say in the movie, uh, she runs away with this other girl, Tabitha, and they, you know, they explore one another, they do drugs. Tabitha takes her to this third party, (laughs) never go with a hippie to a second location, Um, and... (laughs) She and, and they go into this, into this house and, um, you can tell something is going on. Tabitha is talking to this guy who is not, uh, clearly, obviously being portrayed as not a good guy. And Minnie sort of comes to her senses and runs away. Okay. Yep. Well, in the original material, uh, one of Minnie's friends confides in Minnie that she, the friend, actually slept with Pascal, Minnie's dad, right? So now, Minnie is sleeping with Monroe, one of her friends is sleeping with her dad, and that is the shock that awakes her, and she chooses to move, or to, to leave for uh, a while. She runs away with Tabitha. Tabitha gets her high and allows Minnie to be raped by this guy in exchange for more pills, Right. So this is much more of a, of a drug addled. Um, sense of, of loss during this period while she's away from home when she she rec- she comes home and um, and that's when she has the confrontation with her mom eventually and and says you know you can't bring Monroe home I don't want to ter- talk about Monroe but mom continues to see Monroe just not in their home uh, anymore what do you think about that the whole idea of taking Minnie to such a dark place where she's allowed to be raped, in, you know, and prostituted in exchange for drugs in a very, very seedy way.
1: That's, I mean, it's definitely a a darker path for for many, and uh, yeah, just I mean that that really feels like um taking it kind of almost to the extreme, and I wonder if it's something that they changed because I, I don't know because of time because of um. Was it too dark to kind of go all the way down that road? I don't know. I felt like, honestly, the way that it wraps up where she's in that place and she just kind of realizes this isn't good. What am I doing here? I need to get out of this because this is going down a a dark and dangerous road. Like, I thought that worked so well in the film. I, I don't know if I needed to see her go any farther down that that path
0: here's the thing that i think confuses me about it to your point like this what is this is would it have been a coming of age story had it gone down that point or would it have been a drug story like would we have just been making a um, a female-centered requiem for a dream
1: yeah that's an interesting um, way to look at it it would it have just taken it down away i mean Yeah, because what we're getting here really is that coming of age through kind of, I mean, there is that element of it kind of that the joy of sex and exploration takes her to this place where she's hanging out with Tabitha and kind of connects in with this lesbian and they form a relationship and they're doing all these drugs. But she does realize she needs to get out of it because it can go down a dark road. I think that you may be onto something. That going down that darker road might take some of the coming-of-age element out of the story and turn it into more of a: Can this girl get off this um, this path of this deadly potential path of drugs and addiction?
0: Yeah, I think so. And we already have the rather uh, sort of florid, like uh, uh, you know, transcendent sequence of of doing LSD. You know, when she sprouts wings and starts to hover over the bed and, right, and, right, and right. you know, there was no refrigerator talking because it didn't it didn't necessarily go that that far. We do get the sense that he had a bad trip.
1: He's the one with the talking refrigerator. if anyone Yeah, he was. had the talking. It. It's all
0: about perspective. Um, and uh, and and so but but I think the movie just danced right against that fine line, which is, look, this is about her awakening to adulthood and what that means for her. And all of the drugs for me we're much more a part of the fabric of the culture in the seventies and not a central protagonist of the story. And I think that was the, for, you know, walking away from the film this, this watch, it was, um, it, it's not centrally a drug story. It's a seventies sexual awakening story. And I, I think it's better for it, but having never, you know, seen the play, I don't know what the adaptation, uh, would have uh, did there. I, I think it's interesting just how dark this the original story gets. Uh, and I'm glad they made these changes.
1: Me too. Yeah, me too. And we haven't really talked about kind of her relationship. And we've talked a lot about her family and everything, but there's also this interesting relationship I think that she has with her her best friend, um, Kimmy, and and kind of that relationship and how it, I, I don't know, how it shifts and, and shapes and everything as as the film goes, because there's an element to the two of them That seem like uh, and I I think this is definitely something in that age where uh, there's that I I don't want to call it like a one upsmanship, but an element of, uh, oh, she's already doing these things. I want to try it, too, you know, and, and very much um, kind of that, uh, peer, it's not even peer pressure, but you know, it's just like, Hey, you're doing it too. I want to try it too. And, and, and they're talking about these things and Kimmy's talking about how she's done these things. And now that makes Minnie want to do these things. And, but then you're finding out, did Kimmy really do these things? Who knows? And, but it's interesting how it kind of progresses and how their friendship shifts and changes and especially, and, and this speaks, I guess partially and, and I, I wonder how the book had this, but where there is that party where Minnie and Kimmy and Monroe do end up having that threesome and um, Minnie and Kimmy you know, kind of are able to kind of reconcile a little bit. But there isn't there. It certainly puts a strain on their relationship. Uh, but it's it, I like the way that that particular friendship was portrayed in the film. Did you did you get much a sense of uh, her relationship with Kimmy?
0: Well, and now I'm now I'm that I've I've got a little bit all munged in my head. Do we ever get a sense that Kimmy slept with Pascal in in the movie? I don't remember that. I don't think we did. I think it was totally excised from from the story. But but I think it was Kimmy that was the friend that Pascal sleeps with. And that is the thing that unravels their relationship. Uh but but again, I I don't know. I'm speaking completely out of school because I haven't um I haven't seen or read the original uh, material myself just reading a synopsis so
1: yeah I'm mostly remembering the relationship that uh the threesome that they had where there was that scene where we have the three of them
0: well I think it's really I think it's so like I I have this memory this is the thing that it that it ties back to and and I'll say another data point that the the data point that sort of presages the threesome is when they're sitting in their inner room and they start simulating oral sex together on the David Bowie poster um and oh, not that David is David Bowie it's a uh, uh, not David Bowie uh, who was it uh uh
1: oh. it'll come to me
0: Oh, uh, it will okay so anyway they they simulate oral sex on this poster of a of a, a rock poster and um that convinced felt they very, can,
1: they can taste yeah, it, or they, they can, can feel his they heart. They can feel on it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: They can feel it. And, uh, and it's, it is the most bizarre. Thing, But as uh, I remember being a stupid teenager, too, and saying and doing things that didn't feel like peer pressure at the time, it just felt like we are all collectively doing this thing now. And we are all collectively going to see what happens. And it might to outside people, it might seem really stupid. But, um, you know, to us right now, it is the journey we have to take together. I never really got any sense that that they were, you know, I, I think you I think you're right to to kind of hedge the one-upsmanship discussion, because I don't, I didn't get a feeling that it was, it was a a state of, they were trying to outdo one another. I think they were just going along together and it's hard to do as young people. It's like hard to navigate. Is that, is that a fair assessment?
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's, uh, you know, they're, they're both just excited about the things that they're doing. and, And when one's excited about something, the other wants to kind of go along that same road and so it's just it's this kind of growing um learning experience that they're they're sharing yeah it's interesting
0: yeah it really is so that that is uh i i'll tell you i just i really enjoy this movie and um and and you're right i i guess it's a little i I guess i feel a little um I I don't feel dirty watching it, but I didn't have a, a teenage girl to watch it with. <laughs> My daughter's gone again. I didn't have to sweat that part. I, I wonder, you know, you you probably watched it with your daughter. What did she have to say? Oh,
1: no, thank you. No, uh, I tell you, uh, because, I mean, Minnie, I mean, we yeah, we talk about Monroe quite a bit, but she does hook up with Ricky, one of her schoolmates, a few times. And what I found so funny about that is... She is so bored by Ricky's uh, inept ability to have sex and know how to please her. And so she shows him and he's just like so intimidated by her and how much she knows. And I found that so incredibly funny. Um, So so there's that you already talked about how they kind of pretend they're prostitutes and and uh, perform on two boys in a bathroom. And so there's this, there are a lot of different things going on that she's doing. And yeah, it's, it, it makes for, I mean, there are some scenes where I'm like, God, this is like, and I know the actors are all of age, but watching it and like, oh, this is very uncomfortable and awkward watching these supposed teenagers like having sex or doing something, you know, it's like, ah, geez. And it happens, but yeah, it's, it's, it's such an interesting, powerful, strong film that explores this girl kind of figuring herself out. And yeah, I mean, it's challenging, but it's incredibly entertaining. It's, you know, we talked about this a little bit, how some of these coming of age films are much more dramatic and dark and some of them are much more funny this one really has a good blend of both i felt like at first i wrote down oh because her first line is just like i had sex today i'm like oh we're this one's in the comedy realm yep but yeah you, you definitely you definitely go down some darker roads in this film and so it's it's not slums of beverly hills it's not the virgin suicides there's a line that this one is going kind of really that felt just like life, you know. It felt very much like life, and I was just very inspired by the way that Heller crafted and told this story. And uh, yeah, it was just it was it was powerful stuff.
0: Let's talk a little bit about Heller as as the uh, director. What do you, what did you think of her um, her sense of tone?
1: It was clear she connected with this story. She played many on the stage show that she put together. And which I, I guess only ran for a couple months, but it was very popular, very big, and um, that was what uh, Glockner needed to give her the film rights. And uh, and then she she worked with the Sundance uh, Institute to help craft the story, put it together, and you could tell she found a team of people who were as excited by and interested in in telling the story in a creative way as Heller because she knows the story inside and out. She knew the book. She she wrote the play. She performed it as the lead. And she clearly had the voice of Minnie. And I, I felt like I was in good hands from the start. You know, the way that the animations would pop up throughout the film, the way that she unfolded the story, introduced the characters, like everything felt authentic and real. And I I was I don't know. I'm I'm very pleasant pleasantly surprised with this series watching these coming of age films and what these different filmmakers did with their first film that just is like god you just right out of the gate like you you were able to craft a story that had a very clear voice and it's just it's impressive to see what she put together here.
0: I think so too. And you know, I have you seen the other uh, principal films that she's uh, directed. She's been in a ton of stuff as a performer, but um, but she's only directed so far. You know, some episodes of television and three uh, or four features. Um, three features. What the con- what the Constitution means to me? Does that count? I don't know.
1: No, that's a TV play that she filmed.
0: Yes, so that one doesn't count. But that one plus a beautiful day in the neighborhood, can you ever forgive me? And Diary of a Teenage Girl.
1: Yeah, I've seen them all. Uh, I'm a Hellerhead. I guess i I, <laughs> I enjoy her stories i think she does a good job with them so
0: her head hell her head hell her head hell
1: hound hell or hi, high, <laughs> <Heller> high water
0: <laughs> you're a real high water
1: that's all right that's yeah. right yeah i i mean you know can you ever forgive me i mean melissa mccarthy is very interesting in that film um yeah as is richard e grant who is <laughs> i mean both of them Fantastic in that film, dark biopic and a beautiful day in the neighborhood, really creative, uh, you know, biopic that, you know, about a really um, prominent character in in kind of my childhood, uh, Mr. Rogers, but also the uh, just the way that she chose to uh, like the thing that still sticks with me is the way that she chose to do the traveling because it all felt like we were watching Mr. Rogers with like the little Toy planes and stuff. And yes, everything. It just it felt very like she she, she crafts stories in in interesting ways. So yeah, I'm i I'm a fan.
0: Me too. And she is a six point eight with Diary of Teenage Girl, seven point one and seven point three on the other two films. Uh, she is handily above the IMDb six star uh, scale and uh, clearly a deserved filmmaker.
1: Yeah, but uh, sadly, like we're seeing. With a lot of these uh, filmmakers in this series is perhaps because they're women, perhaps because of the types of stories that they're telling, they're not given opportunities to make a lot of different projects. I mean, she's only had three films. I mean, like you said, she's done a good number of TV. Um, I mean, she hasn't directed a lot of TV, just through, like uh, you know, a few episodes of some shows and that uh, that play. Well, she was
0: fantastic in the Queen's Gambit. Uh, well, and, which, and
1: then acting, right? The acting yeah. is really where she keeps herself busy, but I'd love to think that she could get more directing jobs.
0: Me too. Uh, me too. I would love to see uh, more directing work from her. Yeah. So
1: this was uh shot by Brandon Trost, uh, brother of uh, Sarah Trost, who we've mm-hmm. had on the show on a speakeasy talking about Terminator two. This is, uh, you know, something that he shot and uh, looked really, I, I liked the, sepia feel to the film it just felt very period it felt gritty i thought they captured a, a really nice look to the whole thing
0: uh, you a lot of his films have that sort of vibe to it like you you look at uh i don't know if it's a if it's something that came up from his youth but i look at sarah and our conversation <laughs> conversation with sarah and how she manages uh, uh costumes right and then I look at Brandon and how he manages. They both feel sort of old school, right? They feel like they were born maybe out of time and, uh, and, and have a, a real... Um, sense and sensibility for this period, for the seventies, right? And and you look at uh, an American pickle, which was uh, he directed, and then Disaster Artist. He was a cinematographer um, for Disaster Artist. Uh, Can you forgive me? Had its own sort of tonal um, uh, stuff going on there, and and I think all of them have this. Uh, they they feel like visual throwbacks to me. Like it's interesting to to watch. I did not realize that he directed. Uh, one of our favorites, this is the end, or didn't direct a cinematographer behind this is the end, right? Which you know has its own stuff going on, but uh, yeah, yeah quite a busy guy.
1: And currently, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is in theaters, yeah, and, and yeah. he shot that, so he's he's all over the place. And your favorite, dear Evan Hansen, <laughs>
0: we just watched that. Uh, that was a rough one, that was a rough watch, not kidding, woof,
1: rough. <laughs> so, uh, but it, but this looks great, I really enjoyed the look, especially when it's you know a film style that. You want to kind of feel like it does integrate well with all the animation that we end up seeing, which, uh, you know, I I felt like it all was of the same space. And I I really enjoyed that. And, you know, that also speaks to the production design, because obviously the look of the film has to has to fit as well. So and that was uh, Jonah Markowitz, who did the production design and Carmen Grande costume design. So all of them together, uh, just I, I felt they achieved a strong, strong film.
0: It really is. uh, It looks great. If there's anything that is, that gives you trouble about the film, what is it?
1: That's a good question. I don't know. uh, Nothing really stands out as, as a problem. You know, I think that it all, I mean, other than it's, it's just the, the, the challenging nature of the story, but I think it's, it's there because it's a story that needed to be told this way. And so I, I don't have any particular issues with it, but it just, it, you know, it's. I mean, it is definitely a challenging one to watch. It's not an easy watch. I think a lot of people will have a harder time with this because of what it is depicting and how. Um, for me, I think that it it worked exceptionally, but I can see why some people are going to be put off by it uh, right out of the gate.
0: Yeah, me too. But that person was not me.
1: You know, we didn't mention just as a last note before we um, kind of move on. I I think that another powerful moment in the film was. When she does come home, after having run off, and she's, she's in this place where she's kind of feeling a little bit of a loss. Like, who am I? You know, what is all of this? And she she hasn't put the pieces together. She has all the things there. She just doesn't know what to do with it yet. And that's when she sees that she got that letter from the the comic book artist. That is that moment that she needed to be able to put the pieces together. And I found that to be so powerful and inspiring because, you know, oftentimes, you know, people write these letters to people that inspire them and stuff and, and they might get something back. They might not, but they don't necessarily. It's not that life changing thing, but it was for her here. And and I found that to be so powerful because she gets that letter and she has that immediate connection to this artist they use the same type of ink and stuff like that and i found that to be inspiring because that's what she needed to cross that line put that puzzle together so she knew how to kind of move forward um, and it was powerful i i thought that was a great great moment that we had in the film here
0: yeah i do too i i sort of wish i knew what she wrote back
1: yeah right
0: right we see her at the end drop a letter in the mailbox i kind of want to know what she wrote back but uh, um, n- not something we get to we get to be privy to
1: We're not privy to that. All right. Well, we will be right back. But first, our credits.
0: The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by A.M. Beef. Oriole Novella. And Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at d-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com. IMDb.com and Wikipedia.org. Find the show at TrueStory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and five star reviews, please consider doing that for our show.
1: How did it do at award season, Andy? it did well for itself. The film ended up having 16 wins with 37 other nominations. Mariel Heller over at the director's guild uh, of America, their awards, she was nominated for outstanding directorial achievement in a first time feature film. She didn't end up winning. It went to Alex Garland for uh, ex machina, which I can, I can see that. I get it. Yeah, I definitely get that. Uh, But yeah, I mean, strong between that joel edgerton was nominated for the gift which you know there's another strong one uh laszlo nemes for son of saul which boy that's a punch in the gut movie and then i haven't heard of this one fernando coimbra for a wolf at the door that was the other nominee mm. but um yeah it's nice to see uh, i i get why alex garland would take it there uh but yeah fantastic um nomination for her there at the independent spirit awards she won best first feature which is uh, fantastic and then the film also was nominated for a uh, bell powley was nominated for best female lead last to Brie larson in room i definitely uh. can see that too that's uh kind of a tough competition right there also in the running Kate blanchett for carol Along with Rooney Mara, who, uh, probably they canceled each other out. Yep. And Katana Kiki Rodriguez for Tangerine. Um, quite uh, an interesting lineup on that one. That's, that's a tough. <laughs> that's a, that's a really strong, really, uh, really strong. Yeah. Run right there. And then, uh, Mariel Hiller was also nominated for best first screenplay, lost to Emma Donahue for Room. Also up, me and Earl and the dying girl. Uh, Metatronia and the mend i haven't heard of Metatronia or the mend but mm-hmm. um yeah i mean that's that's a great run there at the independent spirit awards uh and then at sundance of course where it um where the film opened um brandon trost we already mentioned him as the cinematographer he won the cinematography award for a dramatic film um, which is uh, you, you can definitely see it when you see this because it just looks so strong. Mar- Mariel Heller was nominated for uh, directing a dramatic film, but that lost to uh, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. So oh, I
0: love Me and Earl. Oh,
1: yeah, that's another really strong film. So, um, I, yeah, I get it. I get it in those cases. Um, you know, and you look at the other awards. Uh, just, I mean, it was. It's kind of a. A spattering across a variety of different um, awards and film festivals and things like that, like the Alliance of Women Film Journalists, uh, things like that. So I, you can see this was a film that was respected and loved. And, uh, you know, I, I think people were challenged by it, but saw the value of the story, especially the way it was told.
0: I I do, too. I'm... Uh... <laughs> I love it. And I, I, uh, Belle Polly, you know, we, I, it bums me out a little bit that it was that that race was per- so competitive, uh, because I think she's so great. And in any other year,
1: let's say any other year, yeah. That's a tricky, it's a tricky film for a lot of audiences, I think just yeah. because it's she's playing a 15-year-old and and watching a 15-year-old go through this I think a lot of people get put off but uh, yeah I thought she was fantastic. Um what do you know her from a lot of things? Cuz this is the only thing I think I've ever seen her in.
0: I know her uh well King of Staten Island uh and The Morning Show quite recently she was a heavy character in season 1 um and it was a very similar uh well, I don't want to say similar character but she was uh very much in a position of sort of weird political power in this movie she was an in or in the show she's an intern at this television station on the on the morning show but she comes from a family of extraordinary wealth and power and she falls in love with the weatherman <laughs> and so it's this weird balance they're trying to keep a secret of their relationship because you know is she using him will they think he's using her she's definitely younger um very much an age uh, difference just like this and and here she is again but yet she's in this position of power over over him in some non-trivial ways so i just really like her and um You know, I haven't seen a lot of her other stuff, but because, you know, those two, I think, were King of Staten Island and The Morning Show, I really liked uh, quite a bit. And so, um,
1: uh, yeah, I like her. IMDb has her uh, top four or the four films she's known by as of course this one the diary of a teenage girl king of staten island as you said as you said a royal night out which she did the same year as this where she plays uh, princess margaret and this is um 1945 on ve day uh, as peace extends across europe princess elizabeth and margaret are allowed to out to join the celebrations it is a night full of excitement danger and the first flutters of romance sarah gadden and, and bell powley play the two princesses. I am completely not familiar with that film. I hadn't even heard of it.
0: She's in, uh, uh, looks like, production of Turn Me On. You know, look at the thematic connections of the things that she's doing. Under the control of a pill that eradicates human emotion, a young couple skip doses and discover new feelings, but realize that comes with emotional baggage to deal with. You know, pills and new feelings? It's practically Diary of a Teenage Girl.
1: Well, her another film she did in 2016, Carrie Pilby, a person of high intelligence, struggles to make sense of the world as it relates to morality, relationships, sex, and leaving her apartment. Yeah. Very much a thing that's that she's got heavy in her resume. Yeah.
0: Well, she's great. Big fan. Big fan.
1: She's great. She's great.
0: How to do it at the box office,
1: Andy. Well, Heller made her debut film for 2 million dollars, which is about 2.16 million in today's dollars. The movie premiered in Sundance January 2015 before having its release domestically August 7th, 2015 opposite Fantastic 4. Joel Edgerton's The Gift, which we just talked about, Ricky and the Flash, Assassination, and Dark Places. The film earned almost $1.5 million domestically and just over 800000 internationally for a total gross of $2.46 million in today's dollars. That means the film scraped by with a profit, landing with an adjusted profit per finished minute of $2,900.
0: Wow. Is that the smallest prof- uh, APPFM that we have?
1: Uh, it's It's definitely tiny.
0: Before it turns negative? Like, that's right on the wire yeah Hmm. it is fascinating
1: Um, Yeah, I mean I could I could look if you really want to know
0: well I don't want to put you out I mean you don't need to for me you don't need to do that
1: it's not for you Pete it's for a listener but seriously
0: are you doing it like right now are you doing it oh okay
1: you asked I answered you deliver hold on let me find it makes me want to watch this Carrie Pilby Yeah, I like the art of it yeah the posters very cool okay the lowest APPFM fm that we've had no it is not the lowest that we've had it's it's in the top five lowest the most uh the film that is the closest to. and again this is with the numbers that i have who knows if all the studio information as far as you know uh, prints and advertising made it into the numbers that are reported online this is all i have the film that is just above the line with a uh, $573 adjusted profit <laughs> per finished minute is shivers. Oh, the wow. David Cronenberg series. Uh, just above that is the Spanish prisoner with $2,300 yes. per finished minute. Then tomboy, 2800 per finished minute. And then this with 2,900 per finished minute. And then oh. the future goes from there. And just below just, just losing out is the innocence, uh, which is, um, lost $413 per finished minute.
0: $413. Wow.
1: Yeah. So.
0: Crazy. There it is. There Thank it is. you for looking that up. That is an interesting number. Love that apthem. One of my this favorite is. things
1: you do. <laughs> All right, everybody. We will be right back for our ratings. But first, here's the trailer for next week's movie, Booksmart. Oh, we going to go to
0: school or? What's two plus two?
1: Isn't
0: it crazy that it's the last day of school? Are you kidding me, Samantha? Go talk to her. She's got a really cute oh, smile. Oh, oh sorry, oh, sorry. Oh, here, sorry, good. here <laughs> sharp elbows. Not as sharp as your chin. What? Ow! It's the last day. We got you through high school. I
1: need to go over the end of the year budget numbers. Can't we just graduate, head off to college? That should do it, right? We will persist. I can't it's hear down. you. I can't soundproof class.
0: Nobody knows that we are fun. We didn't party because we wanted to focus on school and get into good colleges. And it worked. But the irresponsible people who partied also got into those colleges. We have to go to a party tonight. What?
1: No, no, no. Not acceptable. This is not okay. Who allowed you to be
0: this beautiful? Who allowed you to be this beautiful? Who allowed you to, be
1: allowed you to take my breath away? Picture this. I'm a bag of... Put
0: me to your lips.
1: It's a murder mystery party We're looking for Nick's party Okay, adorable farmer new to the city No, cool. no, no, we don't need characters because we're not staying Barren orthodontist Why
0: am I barren? Tonight
1: is your night Yes! yes. Woo! <laughs> Ladies, we are headed to the biggest, coolest grad night party in town Can I get a what? What?
0: Jesus Christ What more can I say? Well, this seems excessive. Shotgun. Just kidding. I don't
1: have one. People, mark thy calendars to attend the drama department summer program. It's actually funny. It's, a, it's it's what we did in my summer program last year in Barcelona when I lived in Barcelona. Why would you do theater when you could do debate? Because some of us enjoy working with others, and some of us know how to win. Nobody's winning in that outfit.
0: Uh, where do you stand on Letterboxd for this one, Andy? How does, how does Letterboxd treating you this morning?
1: Boy, I tell you, this is a tricky one because, I mean, it's a challenging film, but I was just so impressed with everything that Heller did here. Completely found the story. Oh, we didn't even talk about Christopher Maloney and how great he is as the dad. Of course, we love talking about him when we can because uh, of the shared alma mater. Um, He's just he, it's always fun to watch. And, and so seeing him, seeing all these people doing... Really fantastic work in this film i just i really connected with it it 's a challenging film, but I loved the way Heller put it together. I feel like i 'm going to say four and a half and a heart
0: this puts me in a tough position
1: I know mister no half hearts
0: no half pete no no half stars right i am no stars, uh, i came in I think I would if i if I was a half star guy it 'd be four and a half i 'm not a half star guy, which means is it five stars um i it feels i i admit it it feels maybe a little uh a a little bit off to give it five stars just given the to to fall in quite such love with a movie that is about such uh, a subject matter um and so i i do end up with a four star uh, but a big glowing heart um i i i do really enjoy this movie i like it more after having talked about it um it, it's just a hard story yeah so that minus one star is the uh, oh man life is hard star
1: <laughs> the life is hard star yeah so oh, what yeah. did you think about the diary of a teenage girl we would love to know hop into the show talk channel over in our discord community we're going to be talking about this movie this week
0: when the movie ends
1: our conversation begins Uh, letterboxd giveth, Andy? As Letterbox always doeth.
0: Oh, Andy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what is yours, your star rating? How many stars?
1: Is I went with a three and a half. Three and a half.
0: Okay. I'm going to let you go first, and we'll go up to my four-star review from there.
1: That sounds good. Uh, mine is from uh, Matt Lynch. When you hear the title, The Diary of... It very specifically yeah. goes to one thing for so many people. And Matt Lynch nails <laughs> it. Wow, the Wimpy Kid series took a bit of a turn, huh?
0: <laughs> sure did. I, I have one from Laura that's a four star. And uh, Laura says, God, it's so refreshing to see a film focused on female sexuality that's fully from a female point of view. Thank you, Mariel Heller. Just a little extra note. The scenes where Minnie was sleeping with one of the boys from her school, and you could tell he was turned off by the fact that Minnie knew what she enjoyed and was focused on her own pleasure, chef's kiss. I have to say, as someone who has previously uh, lost his virginity, to all of the young men who are uh, going to lose their virginity at some point in their lives, uh, aspire to do it with someone who knows what she wants and can help you figure that out. Because that... (laughs) (laughs) that would make it i don't want to go into our stories yours and mine andy about losing our virginity but i can tell you it was clumsy and stupid so uh we should have been so lucky is all i'm saying we all should be so lucky to find many here here thanks (laughs) letterbox i've been podcasting since 2006